the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 40 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. Attorney Bob Bergman here broadcasting from my office in San Jose, California. Uh, I'm in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose, if you're familiar with it. It's the that particular neighborhood, kind of tucked between Willow Glen to the east and the city of Campbell to the west. Uh, kind of a quiet neighborhood, uh, overlooked by many, but it's what I call home for my law practice. I'd like to start the show today by letting everybody know that I am very close to going live with my webinar that is going to be estate planning for busy parents. This will be the first webinar that I go live with. Eventually, I hope to have a couple more. It's going, when I say go live, I don't mean it's a live webinar. I mean, it will be live and able to be accessed from my website. It's going to be what we call an evergreen webinar meaning that it will always be available for people to register for and then watch. It's about one hour long, and eventually it is going to be um, my requirement for people actually uh, booking a free consultation with me in order to come in and discuss the level of trust planning that is appropriate for them. And eventually I will reach the point where if you just want to book a straight consultation with me without taking the time to watch the webinar ahead of time, I will be charging for that consultation. It will be a longer consultation than for people who attend the webinar, but you will be paying for it because I will have to spend time in that consultation, covering a lot of the subjects in the webinar. And because I'm not really interested in going over that information over and over and over again, which is what I've been doing for many, many years now, uh, I am going to start charging if I have to educate uh, someone coming in to see me in a consultation uh, who has not taken the time or is not inclined to actually uh, watch my webinar ahead of time in order to get educated about 
what estate planning is, what uh, types of planning options are available, and the types of planning that I offer, and uh, also my fee structure. It's going to be the only way you can find out my fee structure in the future is by watching my webinar or by uh, booking a direct consultation and paying for my time, uh, paying for an hour of my time. And that is subject to um, me going up in the future. Um, currently, I charge $500 an hour for uh, for my time. And, uh, and since if people don't want to do the webinar, that's fine. They can come in and pay me $500 for an hour of my time to consult on estate planning. So that's going to be um, implemented likely before the end of this month of February of 2023. I'm putting the, um, the webinar together now. It's been recorded. It's being encoded. And it will likely be going live within the next week or so. So you can go to my website at lawbob.com, maybe bookmark that page, and then check back in about a week to see if the webinar has gone live. I'm uh, proud of the work that I did. I spent the entire morning this morning here in my office recording it and uh, and recording it uh, in such a way that it was, it's actually now down to little tiny bit more than an hour um, but I think it's well worth viewing and uh, especially since it's, it's primarily aimed at parents and to a certain extent parents with minor children that being said it still does apply if you have adult children and uh, and it still is useful if you don't have children at all, so it is certainly something to um, to consider uh, watching the webinar. Uh, I will tell you, uh, it's not specifically mentioned in the webinar, but the fees in there are primarily aimed at married couples. Uh, if you are unmarried, uh, the fees that are quoted in the webinar it's going to be less than the fees quoted um, to do similar kind of planning if you're unmarried. And that's because it's less complicated for me to do planning for an individual rather than doing planning for a married couple. Now, I'm going to do some questions and comments from around the state of California, which is my usual format for this show. And in later parts of the show, I'm going to talk about the use of beneficiary designations and the advantages and disadvantages of beneficiary designations. And then I'm likely to also have a discussion of the various types of options that people use to have revocable living trust estate plans prepared by them or for them, and what the advantages and disadvantages are of those. So for here in the first segment, let me get started. Um, this is out of San Francisco, California. Someone said, I started a conservatorship for my husband. 
because my trust lawyer retired, my husband has dementia, and I could not locate the estate plan we made. Okay, note to self, remember where your estate plan is located. Okay, you know, put a note up on the refrigerator or something saying where you put it. Uh, it should be fairly easy to, to get to. It shouldn't be tucked away in the back of a closet or in a file box in a stack of 30 pile boxes in the garage. So and start with that. Person then says, the conservatorship is now in court, but now I have the durable power of attorney. I found it, and I no longer need the conservatorship. I want to be respectful of the court's time and make do and do things the best way possible. Well, if it's just set for a hearing for conservatorship, probably the thing to do, I'm assuming that you're working with an attorney for this, let the attorney know it's no longer needed. And if, it, if the hearing hasn't been had, it can probably be dismissed, basically unfiled, taken off the court's calendar, and uh, that would be the end of it. If the conservatorship is always in, already in place, you're probably going to have to go into court and request that the conservatorship be lifted um, because it's no longer needed. So kind of what you need to do at this point is really going to depend on what stage of the conservatorship are you in. Has it been heard by the court yet? Or is it uh, already in place and you need to remove the need for it? So we're coming up on the first break in the show today. And when we come back, I'm going to have a discussion of beneficiary designations, what they are, what they're generally used on, and why people use them. Sometimes they're called the poor man's estate plan, and you'll understand when we come back and talk about it after this first break in the show today. This is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, and we will continue the show after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. And welcome back to the second segment of our show today. Before the break, I indicated I was going to be discussing the use of beneficiary designations in the context of estate planning. Now, beneficiary designations, what does that mean? That means... If you have something that you own where you're permitted to indicate on that thing that you own, who's supposed to receive it when you die, that's a beneficiary designation. Now, a lot of people use beneficiary designations as a form of estate planning. And they figure, well, okay, I have a bank account, a brokerage account, and I have life insurance, and I have an IRA, and I put beneficiaries on all of those, and now 
because I've done that, I don't need to do any kind of estate planning. I don't need to make a will. I don't need to make a trust because when I die, everybody's going to get the things that I designated and they're not going to have to go through probate. That's a positive. And, uh, and it's going to be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. All right. What are some of the assets that people do on this? Typically things like retirement plans, like IRAs that I mentioned, 401k plans, 403b plans, 457 plans. Those are deferred compensation plans, pension plans, and annuities. It could also include things like checking accounts, savings accounts, certificates of deposit, money market accounts, brokerage accounts, and in some states, including California, real estate. We do have a transfer on death deed that can be used here in California. I don't like it at all. I don't like it because there's too many ways that it can be misused and abused by family members uh, inducing someone to create the deed and sign it and then recording it and the rest of the family doesn't even know that's happened. Then the person dies and the one family member that's named as the transfer on death beneficiary immediately uh, gets a death certificate, rushes down and records the transfer to themselves of whatever that real estate was. And then before anyone else even knows what's going on, they now own the property. Maybe they turn around, sell it right away, pocket the cash and take off. It's one of the reasons why I really don't like transfer on death deeds. There's too many things that can go wrong. Second thing with those is it may be hard for a to get a title company to actually ensure the title of that property if the, the new owner wants to try and sell it because the title company does not have any clear indication that there won't be someone complaining about that or going to court about that or fighting about that in court. It's not like it was transferred uh, through the medium of a trust where the beneficiaries of the trust are spelled out in the trust. There's actually a document that says who's entitled to receive the property. So that means that a title company, for example, can be assured that the person now selling the property uh, has the right to do it because they are the successor trustee, for example. Um, or they now own the property because it was transferred out of the trust to them. So because it's unclear when you could actually say that the title to real estate is going to be clear and not subject to someone actually filing a lawsuit to try and block the sale of the property um, or coming back even after the sale and challenging uh, the transfer on death in the first place, many title companies just will not even insure the title. And it's almost impossible to sell a property until you can get title insurance. A buyer's going to want that to make sure that when they buy the property, they own it and no one can come back later on and challenge their ownership. Now, beneficiary designations can be useful for small value assets. 
But when they're used as the sole means of estate planning, here there's a lot of things that can go wrong. While it may seem obvious for any beneficiary designation to work properly, the person named as the beneficiary must outlive the person who owned the asset. Now, I know that sounds off, but, you know, you cannot inherit from somebody if you're already dead. But if the beneficiary does not survive the owner of the asset and there's no secondary or contingent beneficiary, then the asset will probably end up going to the person's probate estate, which means it has to go through the probate process. If it is payable to the owner's estate, it will likely pass by the laws of intestate succession, which is basically the laws of who gets your property when you die if you don't have an estate plan of any kind. This could mean that your property ends up going to more distant family members or may even pass to a family member, such as a child, who you specifically did not want to receive the asset. You, you designated your son John to receive everything because you didn't want your son Steve to get anything. But John died, then you died, and guess who is the intestate heir? Steve, the son you didn't want to get anything. That happens all the time, ladies and gentlemen. Happens all the time. And another example. Husband names his wife as a beneficiary of his life insurance, and then they later get divorced. However, the husband fails to change the beneficiary on his life insurance from his wife to perhaps his children. Under California law, beneficiary designations naming the other spouse are revoked on retirement plans and bank accounts and brokerage accounts when a couple gets divorced, but not with life insurance. If the husband gets remarried, fails to change the life insurance beneficiary, the proceeds will go to his first wife instead of the second wife or his children, if that's what he wanted. That means the first wife and the second wife might actually be fighting in court over who gets how much of that life insurance because the premiums for the life insurance may have been getting paid by the husband from money earned during the second marriage, half of which may legally belong to the new spouse under community property laws. And then finally, if you name a minor beneficiary to receive the assets, someone under the age of 18, this will trigger a guardianship for that property and the, and the property will be turned over to the minor when they reach the age of majority, become an adult, age 18. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's probably not the best result for an 18-year-old to receive an inheritance outright just because they turned age 18. Most 18-year-olds would not be able to handle that properly. Okay, we're coming up on the mid-show break. When we come back, I will be continuing with more um, more questions and comments from around the state. And also, I'll discuss the different types of ways that you can have living trust estate plans prepared here in the state of California and the advantages and disadvantages of each. Talk with you after a break. This is attorney Bob Bergman. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. 
Hi, welcome back to the third segment of our show today. In this segment, I want to talk about revocable living trust planning. Now, I'm going to start with the premise that for most people, revocable living trust planning is the appropriate approach to do estate planning. Um, Unless you have a very small level of assets and no real real estate that you own, and the the level is $184,500, less than that and no real estate, uh, you can probably get by with a will, a power of attorney, and an advanced health care directive to take care of those things. If you have more than that, especially if you own real estate, you really need to be using a revocable living trust. So let's start with that premise. The revocable living trust is a contract that's made between the owner of property, known as the trustor or settlor or grantor, and a trustee, named by the trustor of the property to handle the property during the trustor's lifetime. Now, typically, uh, you're both the trustor and the trustee, and you're also the beneficiary of your trust, meaning the one who gets the use and benefit of the property put into the trust ownership. And the living trust is revocable, which means the trustor may amend, modify, or even revoke and replace the living trust. Now, there are several ways that people can actually do living trust planning. There's different options available to people to do living trust planning. And I'm going to take some time now and talk about the various approaches that people take and the advantages and disadvantages of each approach. First of all, um, there is the bare bones living trust. Now, it's called the bare bones living trust um, in estate planning circles because this is a very familiar trust to a lot of people because it's very common. Bare bones living trusts are often the ones that are do-it-yourself. The ones that you create going to online websites, which shall remain nameless, uh, because I don't want to get in trouble and get sued because I'm about to uh, say some very unflattering things. Uh, You can also get books at Barnes & Noble uh, or off of Amazon uh, to make your own living trust. Or you may even be able to find software uh, in the bargain bin at an office supply store or uh, or shopping on on that um, Amazon place. Uh, I call all of these bare bones living trusts because they are typically... One size fits all. They're often very incomplete. There's things that are missing that really should be in there. They're often designed to be used in all 50 states, which means they might be just fine in some states and they might be completely inadequate in other states. But you, the consumer, aren't really going to know one way or the other, are you? Um, because it's not really what you do. You you don't really do living trusts as a consumer. 
doing it yourself, um, unfortunately, the test will come, whether it works or not, after someone has died. (coughs) Excuse me. When it's too late to make changes or correct the problems without an expensive visit to the probate court to try to fix the problems through court action, which, by the way, can often be done as long as all of the beneficiaries of the trust agree. That is a type of uh, trust court petition that I do, uh, a modification of a trust. Sometimes trusts are very poorly drafted or they are out of date. And if everybody whose interests are affected, we can actually go to court and fix the problem. I've done that a number of times over the years. Um, I've often done it with trusts that were uh, that came from a source like one of these online services or someone who did it themselves. They found a form somewhere on the Internet and printed it out and filled it out without any real understanding of what they were using, what they were filling out. I've seen people that have borrowed somebody else's trust and uh, plugged in their own information and not realize that they actually created problems that didn't exist when they had nothing in place at all. Now, Planning options like the bare bones, they all have these things in common. Like I said, they're generally one-size-fits-all documents with no customization of any kind. They rarely reflect the specific needs and wishes of you and your family. They're cheap, but you get what you pay for. They can't ask you questions that need to be asked. And they can't legally answer your questions. And they often miss many important issues, such as blended families, what I call the Brady Bunch families, uh, his kids, her kids, sometimes their kids as well, uh, non-citizen spouses, planning for special needs children or other heirs, planning for asset protection of the inheritance for your spouse, children or other heirs and here's the kicker if something goes wrong and their plan doesn't work they have no legal responsibility because you prepared it yourself you just fed in information and they spit out an estate plan for you no guarantee that it's appropriate for you or your family that's going to accomplish the goals that you really wanted if it doesn't work properly Too bad. You're probably going to court. Family's going to court with someone like me to try and fix it. No matter how much you read about living trusts, no books, websites, or software alone can guide you into creating a living trust plan appropriate for you and your family. Again, they can't ask you the important hard questions, and they can't answer questions about your situation. Only a trained, experienced estate planning attorney can do that. The other type of trust that I see a lot uh, is from companies that come through communities. They often give 
a bunch of seminars in an area. They're often from another part of the state. And uh, they'll advertise very inexpensive, inexpensive living trust packages or amazing discounts on fees. In the small print, it will sometimes read, your living trust package will be delivered to you by a licensed insurance professional. Companies like this are often interested in only one thing, access to your financial information so they can sell you annuities or mutual funds or something like that. Um, Similar to that is attorneys, um, attorneys that advertise that they do wills and living trust, but they also do bankruptcy, personal injury, divorce, general business, or several other areas of practice. This attorney is likely a general practitioner attorney who may have no special expertise in estate planning. Now, you need to know that estate planning is a legal specialty here in California, and you really need to work with somebody who devotes all or a substantial part of their practice to estate planning. Just like you would not have your general practice doctor operate on your brain, you should not use just any attorney to prepare your estate plan for you. There's no legal requirement that an attorney be specially trained to prepare wills and trusts and sell them to the public. Many general practice attorneys do prepare wills and trusts, often after attending a seminar and buying forms or a drafting system to use. These attorneys are usually not estate planning attorneys, and they often cannot assist you in the specific special planning needs that you may need for you and your family. My recommendation is to utilize an attorney such as me. Sue is a certified specialist in estate planning, trust, and probate law. I'm also a member of Wealth Council, a national association of attorneys who specialize in estate planning and use very robust, comprehensive, proprietary software to custom draft every estate plan for their clients. So I'm a certified specialist and a member of Wealth Council. And I think that's really what you want to be doing is using someone like me to assist you with your planning. Okay, we're coming up on the third break of the show today. I do want you to consider going to my website at lawbob.com, bookmarking the page, and then, as I indicated, coming back in about a week or so to see if I have my uh, my webinar up there, my first webinar, hopefully, of several, that is going to be estate planning for busy parents. It's uh, primarily aimed at parents with underage children, but it is also useful for parents um, unmarried or married who have children of any age. And even if you don't have children, it still has a lot in it that is going to be beneficial for you. Okay, this is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And when we come back after this break, we'll bring it on home for the remainder of the show. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. 
Hi, welcome back. So I'm going to finish out the show today with some more questions and comments from around the state of California. I still have uh, about a half a dozen or so in my hand here, so let's go ahead and jump right in. Okay, out of Los Angeles, California, someone says, um, a living trust was created by my stepmother, excuse me, stepfather and my mother in California nearly 10 years ago. Between then and now, my stepfather's brother, a beneficiary, passed away. The living trust is now outdated and needs to be modified and possibly rewritten as they have noticed that there are erroneous clauses that do not reflect the wishes of my parents, particularly my mother. The attorney who drafted this document no longer works in the field and no longer desires to get involved in this. My mother is a trustee and a beneficiary. I am both an alternate trustee and a beneficiary. And what happened? So my father and stepfather want to redo their trust. And they wanted to know, does a valid living trust in California need to be notarized and witnessed by two independent witnesses? A trust in California does not have a requirement that it be notarized. Uh, I say that uh, be, even though I always have trusts notarized. It does not have to be notarized. That's not a requirement here in California, but it is considered the best practice, which is to actually have have the trust notarized. We do not witness trusts in California. Uh, as far as I know, that is only a peculiarity of the state of Florida. Um, we would have witnesses for someone's will that they prepared, a pour-over will that they prepared, but not for the trust itself. So hopefully that answers that question for, um, uh, well, basically, does a trust have to have, uh, does it have to be notarized? The answer is no. Again, out of Los Angeles person says, my mother passed away last year. My stepdad told me I had nothing to worry about with my mother's estate and he would handle everything. As time went on, I asked him numerous times the status, but he would only give me the minimum. I finally was fed up with him, so I contacted the court myself. I was told that my stepdad had already sent out the notices for me to appear in court, but in reality, I've never received anything. He never told me anything about the hearing or gave me any paperwork. What can I do? Because he has total control of the estate. He even filed a will for my mother, and I think it's fraudulent for a number of reasons. Well, you probably need to get an attorney involved down there in Los Angeles to follow up with the court in some way. You may actually need to file something in the probate and uh, and uh, challenge things. You may need to challenge things. It's kind of hard to tell. Uh, kind of hard to tell just what 
what needs to be done. But um, certainly if you were never notified, it may be that they had they had an address for you that's outdated and they didn't know that you had moved. There's a lot of reasons why you were you may never been notified. Uh, first of all, your stepfather can't send the notice out himself and sign a proof of service that he served you a notice of a hearing and a copy of any petition. Uh, he would have to get someone else to do that. If he did get someone else, you need to look up and see who filed, who signed off on the proof of service saying that they sent it to you and see the address it was sent to or purported to be sent to to see if it actually is, in fact, your address. It may be wrong. Uh, It may have been an address that was left over from a previous notice that someone was using as a template and they didn't update it, so it actually notice went to someone other than you. Uh, those are all grounds for for perhaps getting things set aside, but you're probably going to need an attorney to help you with this down there in Los Angeles. Okay, out of Concord, California, someone says, I'm in the process of creating a revocable living trust, and I would like to leave my 50% of property that I own to my adult daughter. Can I quit claim my 50% interest out of property that where I own 50% and quit claim it into my living trust? The answer is a qualified yes. It depends on if it's property that you own with a spouse. You may have limitations on being able to do that uh, because it may in fact be community property and Generally, you cannot transfer community property of of any kind without the consent of the other spouse. But if it's just property you own with some unrelated person or even like a sibling, then the answer is yes, you can do that. But I would still consult with an attorney to make sure that it's not going to cause some other issues for you. Okay, we're wrapping up the show today. I want to remind you all that I am going to be putting up hopefully in the next week or so a new webinar available for viewing through my website and uh, you can go there to lawbob.com have a great weekend everybody this is attorney bob bergman for plan your state radio goodbye you've been listening to plan your estate radio with estate planning attorney bob bergman For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.